the podcast very few fast for. The place where you'll get the truth if you can stay awake long enough. Yes, you've got it. It's sad sex. Yes, good evening, folks. A uh, bit of a special one tonight. Snake Says Podcast 16. I've uh, been threatening this one for a while, but uh, there's been reasons that will become very apparent to you as to why uh, it's been a little bit slow in coming. Um, yeah, those sirens are there for a reason. This one's uh, especially uh, called The Crash. Um, I recently uh, had a bag motorcycle crash and... I just thought I'd do a podcast to talk about it. It's uh, six weeks ago now, coming on for six weeks ago. And uh, I'm only now feeling well enough to do it. And uh, also drumming up the motivation. Motivation goes missing when you've been injured. Um, that's one of the things that well, defines it for me. But anyway, look, I'll tell you the story. That's the best way to do it, I guess. Start from the beginning. If you get bored, give me a yell. Just... You can go and make a cup of tea or turn it off. I don't blame you if you do that. Um, but uh, there's a bit to learn. There's certainly been a bit to learn for me in regard to this accident. And uh, I thought I'd just pass it on to you guys. I'll try and uh, not be boring and try and inject it with a bit of humour. I mean, there's some funny stuff in there. Um, indeed. It's not all doom and gloom. Um and it teaches us stuff. So, look, I'll tell you how it all came about. The event was a motorcycle launch, which is what I often have to do in regard to my job as editor of Australian Road Rider. Uh, that's attend product launches of motorcycles and ride the bikes, uh, test them, uh, evaluate them, <coughs> photograph them, write the story, send it off to the magazine printer, and hopefully it arrives at the newsagent and the consumer can read about a new motorcycle, an old motorcycle, but generally new uh, product that's uh, available to them. It's a pretty tried and true method. Nothing special about it. This time was uh, with Aprilia on their new Shiva and Dorsa Duro, two models using a similar engine. Um, sporty kind of things. The first uh, day was spent riding down the Great Ocean Road on the Shiver. Had an absolute ball doing that with uh, some colleagues uh, through Port Campbell. Um, down to, uh, well, just past there really. Um, and we ended up at uh, Mount Gambier and uh, McNamara Park. Mac Park. Better known as Mac Park. Which is a racetrack in Mount Gambier. Well known. Great little track. Uh, that was for the second day, and we would ride the Dorsa Duro there, which uh, I was greatly looking forward to. Always look forward to track time. Track time's heaps of fun. And uh, the day started out like any other, talking shit in a bus going to a racetrack after a buffet bacon and egg breakfast. Um, on with the leathers and onto the bike and uh, doing some laps of Mac Park, enjoying it greatly. In fact, I was enjoying it so much I was doing more laps than I probably needed to. <coughs> In fact, I think I probably did about 40 laps. and It was about 41st lap I fell off, which is uh, pretty interesting. So anyway, look, bottom line is uh, thrashing around the track, having a ball, doing photos, 
talking rubbish at uh, on breaks and um, on that uh, the lap, the one uh, that still has the clock ticking on it, uh, I dug a foot peg into the uh, road surface there. For those that don't know, that's where you put your feet. Uh, that lifted the back wheel off the ground, which made the bike turn at a 45 degrees on a full lean. And it regained traction, which gave me what's known as a high side. That's the stuff you'll see when they're showing you highlights at GP where the guy flies through the air uh, going over the high side of the motorcycle. And that happened to me. Uh, I remember it all because I never bumped my head, um, which I thank my lucky stars for. And I was fully clothed in leathers and safety gear, which is another thing I'm pretty pleased about. You, you wouldn't do it any other way, but I had all good stuff on. Uh, flew through the air. I knew when I was in the air this wasn't going to be good. Um, and it's amazing what you think about. The whole thing went into slow motion in my mind. And then came the awful thud as I landed on the road <coughs> some 20 metres away from the, where the motorcycle first bit the road. Um, I liken that to standing in front of a freight train and letting it hit you in the chest. Uh, such was the magnitude of that and I never want to do that again and I knew I was in trouble immediately because I couldn't breathe and couldn't move and mainly only because of pain not that I'd lost any use of anything thank goodness uh, but I knew I was in some pretty pretty big uh, strife I knew there was internal problems um, and uh, they had the happy-go-lucky St John's ambulance person that they have at these things who I could hear saying quickly that she was overpowered by what was going on and they were going to need a further ambulance and I don't know how long went by when a, a, another ambulance came with a full jobby you know with all the lights and sirens and white goods in the in the back and all that sort of stuff and they proceeded to cut my leathers off me and give me that beautiful green whistle which actually sends you off to happy land um thank Christ for that. So they cut my leathers off, which is expensive but necessary, um, and loaded me into the meat wagon and raced into Mount Gambier Hospital. Now, it's funny, this stuff, because what happens if for anyone that hasn't experienced being in an emergency, you see everything through ceilings. The whole thing's ceilings. You can hear all this stuff going on, but you're looking at ceilings. So I know what the roof of an ambulance looks like. I know what the sky looks like. Um, you, you operate on your ears because you don't actually see much. So I'm listening to all this, and I could tell there was a, it was a degree of urgency um, that was alarming um, as we went into the Mac Park, ah, sorry, Mount Gambier Hospital. Um, and it was obvious to me that, again, things weren't good. They gave me ketamine in there. Now, they tell me the kids line up for ketamine. Well, I'm tell you, I'll tell you now that I never want to see it again because it took me to the gates of hell. I think it's the stuff they give you when they've got to throw you around a bit when you're, in, you're busted up, uh, loading me into the uh, CAT scan machine. Uh, they weren't mucking around, and they gave me ketamine. I've subsequently looked up. 20% of people have a horrible hallucinatory experience 
with ketamine. Well, let me tell you, I'm in that uh, in 20% because I went to the gates of hell. I've never been more frightened in my life of what I've seen with ketamine. So I've, I'm actually officially allergic to ketamine. That was almost the worst experience, was that ketamine. I saw things I never want to see again. Um, so if you're recreationally considering ketamine, good luck to you. But I would think again, because uh, spooky stuff, really spooky stuff. So they unload me out of there, and uh, all of a sudden I feel a bloke cutting a hole in me on my side, and I thought, this isn't good. And then I felt his thumb go in and push through my ribs, and that sort of popped. And they're loading a hose in there because I had what's known as a, I've got to remember it, I was calling it a thermonuclear, but it's a neuro, thermoneurox or something, pneumothorax. I can't, jeez, I can't remember, I should have wrote that down. How's that for prep? Thorough. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you before the end. Basically, it's a punctured lung. That was punctured by the fact that, uh, by my ribs, which uh, I had eight broken ribs, uh, three fractures of the pelvis, and that punctured lung, which was filling with blood. So I was actually on the critical list at that point, which I didn't realise. Um, it was uh, quickly became obvious that all this was overpowering the emergency department at the Mount Gambier Hospital. And next thing I know, I'm being loaded on an aeroplane to be flown to uh, Royal Adelaide Hospital, the, the brand new job down there. Uh, once again, that sent a message to me that things weren't good when I realised that this injury was overpowering um, the abilities of a hospital. So they bung me in an aeroplane, and once again I saw the ceiling of an aeroplane and heard that go. I think I was sucking on the green thing again. And they'd cut a hole in the side and they had pipes sticking out of there. Uh, that was basically to uh, pull the air out from the lung wall, to, to, to equalise pressure, basically, uh, and also to empty out crap, of which there was much. So we get to uh, Adelaide, and I go into the emergency department there, and there's more CAT scanning, and there's about a dozen people running around me, and once again, ceilings and clatterings and noises. And uh, I said to the doctor, am I going to die? Because I thought, there might be a chance I'll die here. And he said... uh, you're in the best place to deal with the injuries you've got, Greg, which didn't seem like a yes or a no. And that didn't help me a lot because it didn't feel like, well, you're going to tell me or what, you know? Don't soften the blow, Dad. Anyway, he said, why do you ask? And you do say funny things in these circumstances because apparently I said, because who's going to feed the dog? So, Millie, that's how important you are to me. But uh, yeah, I was pretty full of juice at that point. But... I must admit, at that point, I thought, oh, I might die. Um, and I, I had to have a little evaluation of, well, that's not really what I wanted. This is not my beautiful house. I don't remember being panicked by it, uh, but I do remember considering it, uh, that I might die. And I thought, well, I don't really want to. But it wasn't a panic situation. Mind you, as I say, I was chock full of bloody hillbilly heroin and Christ knows what else. So... Uh, 
you know, I, I feel like I've faced death in a certain way and uh, it's not, it wasn't that bad. You know, it wasn't that scary. Um, strange, strange. So further, I get uh, put into uh, Royal Adelaide Hospital, which is a fantastic facility, I must say. In fact, it had been finished two weeks. I think I was the first person in my room, which was like, this is pretty cool. So I, was, I got like the, the top brick off the chimney in regard to equipment and Christ knows what. It was really pretty cool, you know. It's like a nice hotel room. Except the pain of eight broken ribs is bad. Eight broken ribs are really fucking bad. Chuck in three breaks of the pelvis and uh, I was very sore. Um, if you scratch your left nut when you've got broken ribs, it hurts. And, of course, being on the critical list, they had to come and bug me every half an hour to see if I was still alive, I guess, um, and, you know, poke me and prod me. And one of the things I had to do was cough. Now, that was all part of the trying to reinflate the... Uh, um, the lung, uh, which was all important to me because otherwise you pneumonia and you can die pretty quick, um, especially if you're an old toss, which I'm bordering on. Uh, I don't think I'm an old toss, but everyone keeps telling me I'm an old toss. I'm just having a mouthful of tea. One moment. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, uh, pain. Now... You like to think that you're not a sook. Um, I like to think that uh, I can cope with a lot of things, but I've got to tell you, uh, the pain of those eight broken ribs, which has persisted for six weeks, is otherworldly. Otherworldly. Uh, a sneeze will bring you to tears, and a vomit is just not to be thought of both of which I've experienced. And the old ribs, they just, uh, they don't let up. You can't move, you can't fart. Now, they put a catheter in my old bloke, which I actually enjoyed. In fact, when they w went to take it out for a couple of weeks later, I said, leave it in, I'm happy with it. You just walk around pissing. You know, you're talking to people, you're ordering a Chiquito at the, uh, at the uh, lunch break, and uh, you're having a piss, quite happily pissing away. I thought, well, it's only getting in the way anyway. I said, look, could you leave it there, maybe? She laughed and moved on and pulled it out. Now, pulling it out's a bit of fun. Pulling a, a metre-long piece of uh, uh, four-mil four tube out of your bloke with a stent area that's even bigger again, that's good fun. Yeah, that hurts. So they pulled that out with no music. It felt like they should have been going, do -do 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 as they pulled out. I didn't laugh when they pulled that out. So uh, I had that for a while. So I, I couldn't get out of bed. There's no way. There's no way I could have moved. Um, and they quickly put me on a very strong pain relief, which I had to ask for uh, whenever I needed it. Now, it was opiate-based. It was an opioid. And there's dangers with that stuff because it's very addictive. So, of course, I went for it entirely. And had an absolute ball every time I had a couple of those because it was good. And they were giving me three uh, to counter this rib pain. So when I'd had that, life was good. But it didn't last. A couple of hours later, you'd be back in the pain thing. And then you can only have a certain amount of that stuff. 
In fact, they gave me a button in the end, which allowed me to... I was on fentanyl then, which apparently is the, the duck's guts for junkies, um, which I must admit, that, that held the pain at bay. But uh, just laying in that bed with that lungs screaming and um, the boredom and loneliness and pain altogether really took some climbing, I have to say, and uh, it was sort of character building. Uh, Spencer and Gus flew straight... Uh, Gus, Spencer rode a motorbike and Gus flew in, so they were staying around the corner and were greatly supportive of me, so I had them running interference for me, uh, coming in every day and, and uh, sitting with me. Uh, of course, they scared the shit out of the kids because they rang them and said, your dad's had a serious accident and he's in a critical condition. I don't know how you soften that off, but that should have been handled a bit differently, but still, um, you know, I'm here, so doesn't really matter so i got to the point where i uh th these drugs they pack you up they constipate you so about a week had gone by i hadn't visited the brown room and that's because i couldn't get out of bed anyway and I, they've given me bed bars but that doesn't work um so you're stinky and uncomfortable sore uh so they said, look, uh, I got to know the nurses pretty well. You know, it's funny that when you're in hospital for a little while, it becomes, you know, I'm saying this as though you don't know. You probably do. So please forgive me if I sound like I, I know all about it. You probably do too, more. But I'm just telling you what happened. Um, yeah, they came and said, look, have you been to uh, the toilet? And I said, no. Of course, I'm just pissing in my catheter. So they weren't talking about that. They said, they got to about day seven, they said, look, we're going to have to give you an enema. I said, no, you're not. I don't want you to do that. I, now, I'm a progressive type of guy. I, you can do what you like. I'm, I'm good with it. People in the comfort of their own homes, consenting adults, I don't give a shit. But in my world, for me personally, the old back gate is an exhaust mechanism. It's not an intake mechanism. You with me? This is about uh, about giving, not receiving. <laughs> it's better to give than receive. We've always said that. So I didn't want them putting a bloody garden hose up my jacksy and pumping in, you know, eight litres of soapy water to get me to shit all over the room. Call me old-fashioned. I don't know how you would have gone with it. So... Uh, I was taking uh, numerous laxatives and all sorts of stuff. Finally, I hobbled to the toilet, uh, which would have taken me 10 minutes. It took me five minutes to get up. You, so when you pull yourself up with broken ribs, you've got to use your core. So you've got to clench your chest. So in order to sit up, you've got to pull hard against your broken ribs. There are no words for that pain. There are no words for it. So you've got to do it. If you know... If I'm going to go and have a bloody crap, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to, if I'm going to get out of bed for any reason. Um, of course, I couldn't walk, wasn't allowed to walk until I had my pelvis operated on. So I was completely in bed for five days, I think. Um, and I couldn't walk on a broken, on a, you know, three breaks of the pelvis. I wasn't exactly looking to do a tango or a uh, Pride of Erin. The, uh, the mobility was right down. So, lucky I didn't need a crap, really. Anyway, 
I ended up having a major incident with a bedpan and uh, save, you know, the delicate ears amongst us. If you think about Willy Wonka, that's where I was. But we managed to tidy it up and things came good there as far as all that was concerned. And I just kept eating laxatives and more and more endone and drugs and it was all a bit of a blur watching bad television and eating sandwiches. I got to know everybody, uh, all the orderlies and nurse people and doctors and Christ knows what. And they played it up my Elvis, my, my Elvis, my pelvis, Resley. And it's now uh, got three dirty big screws in it, which look very haphazard on the uh, x-ray, but they, uh, they're holding it all together, titanium uh, screws on in my uh, pelvis so about the imagine about two days after the operation to uh, screw my pelvis up they said you got to get up I said what what are you talking about get up I said no you got to start walking I said what are you talking about I just bloody screwed my pelvis up two days give me a break man no no you've got to start walking fuck me and then another bloke comes in and sells me a pair of crutches. So he, he's not missing a trick. You know, he's got out with a credit card. So I've bought a pair of crutches. And uh, now, listeners, you can you consider trying to walk with a broken pelvis and uh, eight broken ribs. Not easy. So I managed eventually to walk up to the door and back, which they saw as some great victory. Uh, I looked like a bad TAC ad. Um, so I, I managed to walk up. They get me up every five minutes to fucking go for a walk because that's what I wanted to do. Go for a walk. This is great. Only they're only helping. So I hobbled here, there, and everywhere, and gradually managed to sort of go out the door, back in, uh, back fart, back in the fart sack, all that sort of stuff. So eventually, it was twelve days I was in there. So. The 12 days go by and I'm allowed to go home. Now, I wasn't allowed to fly because of the lung. They won't let you go in a pressurised cabin like that. So we got ourselves a four-wheel drive and Spencer drove me home. Now, he did a really good job, Spencer. He looked after me. But the drive from Adelaide to Melbourne, which we had to break into two, sitting in the front seat of a... Volkswagen Tiguan. Not a Tiguan, was it? Is that the little one? Yeah, Tiguan, which I wasn't that impressed with, actually. Should talk about that, I suppose. Not a great car. Uh, I'd be looking Japanese before I bought that. But anyway, move on from there. Absolute agony, sitting in that front seat, chewing on bloody hillbilly heroin till the cows come home. We had to stop halfway. I couldn't go all the way. Um, I never want to do that again. So finally, I got myself home and into the fartsack and really basically looking after myself. Spencer and Gus have looked after me as much as they can, but Spencer's moved out and <coughs> to Melbourne, started his own job. Gus has got his work to do. So I've been uh, on my own, other than, you know, great help from friends, um, family and friends. My brother has been a great help. Uh, his wife, um, uh, special call out to Slade Shaw, who's started to go fund me for me. All these things happened around me, um, and uh, I've had help from numerous people. So 
thanks to all you guys. You know who you are, I hope. I won't get all maudlin about that, but, you know, it really does gladden an old man's heart that I'm lucky enough to have the friends I've got. So a big thank you. If I've left anyone out, I'm really sorry. But um, I hope I get the chance to repay the kindness. Uh, now, people saying to me, motorbikes. Now, what are you going to do with motorbikes? I can't wait to get back on one. It wasn't a motorbike's fault I fell off it. It's my fault I fell off it. Uh, motorbikes, you know... If you push the limits, you can get hurt. There's no doubt about that. But we're in the uh, in the damage limitation business when you ride motorbikes. And I intend to continue to limit my damage. Uh, I can't live without them. Pardon me. I'll probably button off a bit. I probably realise I'm 50... What am I now? What year is it? 57 now. Uh, probably fastest laps behind me. Maybe I've been riding a little bit quick. Maybe. But I don't know. Uh, just made a mistake, fell off, paid a price. So the outlook is that I've got about eight months of before I'll be right. My income's halved. Uh, my workload's halved with it. So that's not a bad thing. I can actually walk without a stick now. Millie loves me again. She didn't know who I was when I came through the door hobbling. It really upset her. She didn't know what what had happened, what's happened to my dad. But she was very, very respectful and she uh, sits, sits by my feet. So bikes, yes. Um, uh, I'm now off those horrible drugs, which have been replaced with far lesser uh, addictive, less addictive drugs, um, and they don't make me foggy. Uh, I'm not doing too badly. I'm sleeping through the night, so I'm, I reckon I'm on the mend. But uh, yeah, it's changed me, and uh, I hope in good ways it certainly made me recognize the kindness of people it's made me understand uh, what i'd never spent a night in a hospital before other than when i nursing cares um, i spent plenty of time in hospital but that was with her i'd never been a patient before never spent a night in hospital so this was all new to me and whatever they pay nurses it's not enough they are the lifeblood of hospitals and the way they went over and above for me, I couldn't believe it. So if you're a nurse, good on you because you're pretty grouse. Uh, ambulance people are grouse too. Royal Flying Doctor Service, I mean, if they hadn't have been in where they were, uh, a couple of things had have gone the other way, you know, we might not be listening to this podcast. So that's changed me too. I recognise my mortality now. When you're on a critical list for a while, that changes things because they couldn't stop my lung from bleeding. Internal bleeding wouldn't behave and all sorts of stuff was going on. So, uh, look, I just wanted to... It's not much fun, this podcast. It's not going to be. I don't feel particularly humorous, but I've got a lot of friends out there, and I just thought this was a way to sort of tell you the story, let you know I'm alive, well, and and pretty happy, um, and different. I'm different. So... Um, just give your kids a big hug, you know, and enjoy every sandwich, as the great Warren Sevon says. Yeah, look, I might leave it at that. Um, uh, Stag says at gmail.com. If you want to interact, we'll have a chat. Uh, email there. Uh, any questions? You want to talk about anything? Um, I've still got to do the test of the bike. The bike's not to blame for my accident. 
I'm, I'm to blame for my accident. Uh, so there's no real pain there. Um, the manufacturer has been good, stayed in t- touch with me. I'm very happy with that. Uh, the motorcycling community stuck with me. Uh, it's a small, tight little community bike, so it's full of good people. Uh, you know who you are. I've had calls from people left, right and centre. Um, everyone wanting to help and be nice. So thanks to everyone. And uh, I'm still here and uh, I'm still going to annoy the shit out of you. I'm just uh, not probably doing it today. So I might leave it at that. Um, thanks for listening. Snag says podcast 16. And just don't let the bastards get to you, all right? See ya. <laughs>